0: Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on Monday, September 28th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider and with blocks now being put in place on Premier League games across IPTV providers, a VPN might be just what you need. Check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off Liberty Shield routers and subscriptions. Can't beat that kind of deal. Good morning, folks. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are. Big weekend in the Premier League, almost wrapped up. Eight games played so far, two more to go. Uh, I made a bit of an idiot of myself over the weekend, but you'd have that. Uh, We'll get to that in a little bit. Let's start off with Brighton 2, Manchester United 3. A game that ended in controversy. A game that could have ended a lot worse for Manchester United, who were roundly outplayed in this game. Um, 18 shots to seven in favor of Brighton. Brighton hit the woodwork, what, four times? Um, Leandro, uh, Leandro Trossard just, he appeared to be trying to win a crossbar challenge or a goalpost challenge. Uh, Brighton were comfortably the better team. United did not play well in this game. Brighton can count themselves very unlucky and United can count themselves to be very, very fortunate to have come away with three points because based on the performance, they didn't deserve any. Um, But a draw overall, you, you wouldn't really have argued with. Marcus Rashford showed that he's not just an outstanding human being. He is an outstanding footballer as well. And he scored one of the early contenders for goal of the season. It's a brilliant ball by Bruno Fernandes. Down the flank, Rashford then absolutely roasts Ben White. Leaves the poor boy on the ground twice before slotting home. And at that point it was 2-1 United and you thought, okay, this is, this is what it's going to be. United are going to win this game. But there's five minutes of added time. And in the final minute of added time, Solly March drifts in, unmarked, back post, simple header into the net. And that should have been it. That should have been game over. It should have been 2-0, call it off, let's go home, everybody's happy. And somehow we end up with more added time. And then the final whistle goes, and it's 2-0. But the United players swarm to surround the referee because the last action of the game is a Harry Maguire header from a corner that gets cleared off the line. But Maguire is adamant that the ball has been handled. Now, the final whistle is gone, and the Brighton players are saying, well, you've blown the final whistle, the game's over. But the referee goes to check it, and it is a handball, there's absolutely no question. Neil Mopay has handled the ball. So despite having ended the game, the referee restarts the game and gives United a penalty. Now, nobody seems to know the legality of this, whether that's allowed or not. Some people have pointed to an example in the Bundesliga a couple of years ago where it happened at halftime, where the referee had brought the players in at halftime, reviewed something, and then brought them back out for a penalty and then brought them back in for halftime again. Uh, it's that's slightly different. That the game's not over at that point. The game is over here. If it's in the rules, it's in the rules. It there's absolutely no way to argue with it. I don't know whether it is or not. I assume the referee does. I assume he does, and for that you can't really question him. Um, but Brighton can feel very hard done by here. They've now lost their two home games this season, despite roundly outplaying Manchester United. And they're playing Chelsea. They've been really unlucky in both games. But they can take a lot of heart from their performances. For United, though, it's a really good three points. It's a long way to Brighton. It's not a good performance, but you come away with three points. That's how you start to build a little bit of momentum. That's how you can find a little bit of form. Bruno Fernandes had a goal, an assist, and a hockey assist in this game. He is starting to show a little bit more after the atrocious dive against Crystal Palace. Um, United are going to be heavily reliant on him and Marcus Rashford this season. Their midfield was so poor. Paul Pogba's performance in this game was absolutely awful. Absolutely awful. He looked like he just had no interest in playing the game. United will will no doubt uh, look to add players in the transfer market. The media spin has already begun. Those close to United have leaked out that you can expect a bid from Manchester United for Jadon Sancho this week. Now, they may get him. There is a chance that they can buy him this this week. I think it's a small chance. I think it's unlikely. To me, it seems like they just want the fans to think, yes, they're they're trying, rather than actually trying to get the player. If they were actually trying to get the player, they would have done what they're trying to do now back in early August. I would be surprised if with this short of a period left in the transfer market, Dortmund were willing to do business. I think United have other needs that were quite open in this game. You could see that they need a better holding midfielder than Nemanja Matic. They need, a, they need a better starting centre-back to go next to uh, Harry Maguire. They're also still in for Alex Telles because they want to upgrade at left-back, and that's absolutely fine. But I think right-back is an issue for them as well. Even though they spent all that money on wan Bisaka, I, I wonder if maybe he'd be better off in a different position because he offers absolutely nothing going forward. And if United want to play the way they say they want to play, they need to get more of from their full-backs going forward. Now, Ollie may have a tactical master plan, but I doubt it. At some point this week, I'm going to go through my list of 20 managers in the Premier League and rank them 1-20. to 20. I can already tell you he's going to be in the bottom five. I don't see that there's a real plan with United again in this game. The problems that they had against Palace were fairly evident. No tactical plan. No patterns of play. No structure. Defensively or an attack. A little bit more heart. A little bit more fight. Except from Paul Pogba. But all in all, it's a good three points. It's a really bad performance. And United probably should be a little bit concerned. Because if they keep playing like that, they won't always get as lucky. Uh, up next then uh, was Everton against Crystal Palace. Everton travelling to London to face Palace. Two unbeaten teams heading into the game, and Everton remain unbeaten. They remain with a 100% record, but Palace can count themselves very, very unlucky in this game. Another game with controversy, as um, Joel Ward is called for a handball, and Everton get get a penalty, which wins them the game. Now, my argument against that would be Palace still had a full second half, and they were comfortably the better team in the second half. Everton had been the better team first half, I think. Dominic Calvert Loon scores a you know, a Dominic Calvert Loon goal. Palace come back and score through Coyote, who I thought played very well, dealt really well with Calvert Loon. It was a really good physical battle all game. But then the penalty happens around the fortieth minute, which scores. And in the second half I just I felt like Palace were the better team, but it always felt like they just didn't have anybody to create a chance for. There was lots of good work by Zaha, by Eberichi Easy. The midfield was playing well. Mitchell from left back was getting forward and joining the attack, but they lacked that real cutting edge. And then for some reason, when Roy Hodgson decided to introduce Michi Batshuayi, he did it by taking off Eberichi Easy who had been controlling the game, running the game, the most creative player. It was a very strange decision by Hodgson. And uh, I think it cost his team the game. But Everton can take real, real heart from this game. They gridded out a two, one win in a tough place to go. And uh, three wins from three. You you can't argue what, what Everton are doing at the moment. Now it looks like they're still in the market for a couple of things. They want, um, they want a right-back, they want a centre-back. There's been talk of a couple of different centre-backs that they're interested in, maybe on loans with options to buy. They missed out on their the two right-backs who'd been heavily linked to them. Now, whether they've decided that Seamus Coleman and John Joe Kenny can be their right-backs the season, I don't know, but... It is a little bit... Coleman is is very good but he is now past the point of you looking at him as an elite right back as he once was Kenny had a decent first half of the season at Schalke but like everybody around him at Schalke kind of tailed off badly in the second half of the year I still think they need to add that right back and they definitely need to add a centre back they definitely need to find another player at centre back because uh, they're a bit thin there for Palace they are again been linked with More attackers and a couple more midfielders. They're looking for loans. It's hard to see who they'll get. I think Tom Davies from Everton would be a really good fit there. Just as somebody to add a bit of drive, a bit of box-to-box dynamism into the team. But um, all in all, Palace can be really happy with the start of the season. I mean, they beat United last week. They beat Southampton on the opening day. Six points after three games. I'm sure they'd have taken that. He'd offered it to them before the three games, and they probably would have expected to beat Southampton and beat Everton and lose to United, but didn't work out that way, but they still get their points. And Everton must be thrilled. They must be thrilled. It it's the best start Everton have had in a long time. They look like a real football team again. Hamas Rodriguez continues to just jog his way through games and be a level above pretty much everybody else on the pitch. Alan has been fantastic, absolutely fantastic. The amount of work he gets through midfield is is sensational. And there's a really nice understanding between Lucas Digne and James Rodriguez starting to form, especially around set pieces. That's something to keep an eye on. Two players with with great delivery. Um, Everton should be really, really happy with how things are going for them at the minute. Then we had almost the biggest surprise of the weekend, and in some ways maybe still is the biggest surprise of the weekend, uh, West Brom 3. Chelsea 3. So there's quite a bit to unpack with this one. West Brom race into a 3-0 lead. Um, Callum Robinson and Kyle Bartley get them the goals. And Chelsea's defence just looked an absolute abomination. Um, Frank made the decision to start Thiago Silva and to make him captain. He was atrocious. He looked completely lost, and I saw some people say, oh, well, it's, you know, he played right centre-back last year, and he's playing left today, and that is part of it, for sure, the adjustment period, but he's played left centre-back most of his career, so that's not it. What is it, is that he's 36, and he's slow. He can't defend space, and in this game, he was been asked to defend massive amounts of space, because... He has Marcus Alonso next to him, who's not very good defensively to begin with, but only has one gear, and that's just going forward all day long. Doesn't do anything else, just gets forward all day long. Um he had Andreas Christensen next to him, who's, I think, a good defender, but slow. Not, not the type you want as your covering defender, let's just put it that way. And Rhys James playing right back, who, again, just gets forward all day long and isn't particularly good From a defensive point of view, Alonso, Silva and James all made big errors that led to goals. And Silva just looked, he had no speed around him, whereas at PSG he had Keller, he had Kimbembe and Marquinhos. And quick covering left backs as well if needed. Now James is quick, but the other two aren't. He had no solidity in front of him. Where at PSG he had Marqu- uh, Marquinhos and Verratti and Idrissa Gay. Here he had N'Golo Kante and Mateo Kovacic, both of whom who want to break forward. Both of whom are best when allowed to press, press high up the field. Neither of whom have positional discipline. Neither of whom wants to be a sitting midfielder. And he was just left badly exposed. And this is going to happen over and over again. I don't think... I don't think the experiment is going to work. I've said it since, since day one. When a team who are pretty average going forward, and I'll be kind to West Brom and say pretty average, when they score three goals against you and look like they make it very easy... It's not a good sign. It really isn't a good sign. Um, credit to Chelsea, though. Good second half, fight back. Mason Mount, I thought, was was really good second half and really stepped up and kind of led from the front in that regard. And it, Mason Mount, Callum hudson Adoy, and Tammy Abraham get the goals. The three guys most likely to be replaced by Kai Havertz, Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner when everybody's fit and the team is settled. Um, Havertz and Werner didn't have particularly good games, but, you know, it's going to take time. Everybody just needs to cool the expectations on them. It's going to take both of them a little bit of time. I think Werner will adapt probably a little bit quicker, but people just need to give them time. That's all it is. Kai is going to be great. Werner will score goals. At the at the worst case scenario, he's probably he's probably Jamie Vardy in the Premier League. Um it's a good fight back. You feel for West for West Brom because when you go 3 0 up at home, you, you should really be wrapping the game up. And after the start, they've had two bad defeats. You were hoping this was the game where they'd win, but it didn't work out for them and uh, they take a point and look it's it's one point more than they had going into the game and maybe one point more than they expected so it is what it is um both teams still need players chelsea chelsea still have a lot of questions that's just what it is they they need a, a holding midfielder they need another center back mendy is due to start in goal i think next weekend uh whether he's the answer or not remains to be seen but they still need work and West Brom, they need goals, they need two in defence, and Ivanovic is not the answer to any of the questions that have been asked about them. Uh, Burnley faced Southampton at Turf Moor and turned in a really flat performance. Really lacked the, the the fight and the bite that normally define them as a team. Um, Southampton, I thought, played pretty well. Uh, Danny Ings gets another goal continuing his good start to the season. I'd be a little bit concerned about Burnley. I, I don't think they'll be relegated, but there's a lot of talk around Tarkovsky at the minute that he may go. And the, the the names that have been discussed as potential replacements, they just reek of being cheap. I mean, Steve Cook was part of a bad Burnley defence For four or five years in the Premier League. An outright bad defence. And he was one of the worst culprits. He's one. Scott Dan is another. I think he's a solid defender. But I mean. What would he be? Sixth choice? At Crystal Palace now? Fifth at best maybe? The two boys who are starting are both playing really well. Martin Kelly. Gary Cahill and James Tompkins all have to come back, I'd put Scott down below them all. That's who you're going to buy to replace James Tarkovsky? That's just not... That's not an acceptable move. And if Sean Dyche is is signing off on these things, he must have, he must have a bit of a, a, a sadistic side to him because it's, it's nothing against the players. It's just that they're not anywhere close to the level... Of the player, they'd lose, um, and they have work to do. I mean, the rumors are that they're if they've put in a bid for Harry Wilson, twelve million. Whether it gets accepted or not, I don't know, but they definitely need some more in attack, some more creativity, some more goals, some more thrust. And if they sell Tarkovsky, they're going to need a centre back. I think they need a centre back anyway. They need someone of quality behind Tarkovsky and me, someone that can maybe challenge Ben. Me, I still think they need a little bit of help at right back because both their full backs both the right backs, are over thirty at this point. Um, left back is fairly solid. Goalkeepers fairly solid. Centre midfield is fairly solid. Though I will say that when either Westwood or Cork is not in the team, and it was Cork this week who missed out. Brownhill needs to play in the middle. I don't know why Dale Stevens was in the team. He just looked miles off the pace. Clearly he hasn't played a lot of football recently, but he just looked miles off the pace. And um and Brownhill's just much better in midfield in centre midfield than he is played wide. So I'm not a hundred percent sure on what the, the logic behind that was. But for Southampton, uh, they've missed out, unfortunately, on Ibrahima Gary. He has gone to PSV Eindhoven now. I'm not sure how you miss out on him to a, to an Eredivisie club. I appreciate that PSV are you know are, are a big club and they've got a lot of standing in the game, but you're a Premier League club. You should be able to you should be able to entice them to the Premier League. Um, the list of players that they are looking at as alternatives they're all very different players. So it it it's an interesting one. I don't know that. Leicester are too interested in letting Hamza Choudhury go. Everton do seem open to a, a loan for Tom Davies, but we'll see. It's it's I think it's a blow for them to miss out on him because I think he could have been it could have been a great addition there, and he really would have worked well in in Ralph's system. Um, Salisu is coming into that defence, so that will improve it. They will need that holding midfielder, and I think they need one more in attack. But Southampton, look, it's it's a good win for them here against Burnley, a tough op- a tough opponent, a game that's never going to be fun. Um, and and they made it look relatively comfortable. I mean, what well, chances did Burnley really had? Chris Wood had a kind of a half chance from a header. Charlie Taylor had a long range shot that. McCarthy saved fairly comfortably at his near post. Aside from that, I thought Burnley just looked really flat. And uh, that was Saturday then. So, you know, pretty exciting. It was of the of the four games, I thought three of them were good. I thought Brighton United was good, Palace Everton was a decent game, and West Brom Chelsea was a good game. So the game wasn't much to watch, but you're not really tuning in expecting it to be a you know goal fest. Um into Sunday then and the opening game on Sunday was i think set up the most fascinating tactical battle of the weekend between Chris Wilder and um and Mr Bielsa i thought i thought united were good first half sheffield united that is sorry sheffield united were good first half and then they seemed to get really really tired and they just seemed to flag quite a bit now they were missing two of their starting central defenders, and whether you look at you know Norwood and Fleck both as as every game starters with Berg, then yeah the two midfielders as well, and I'm not sure either of the front two are the two they'd want up front. I would have thought Ollie McBurney and Musette would be the the starting two. McBurney was on the bench. But you could argue they were missing five starters in, in the starting 11. They looked really flat after about 40 minutes. Berger dominated the game for that first 40 minutes. He's best player on the pitch by a substantial margin. But after that, there's just... There's certain players in the team, and I'm not going to name them, but there's certain players in that team that started that game that just are not of Premier League quality. And I know Chris Wilder tries to do Interesting things in terms of in terms of replacing and and developing replacing players with other scrappy players. Like he finds players that maybe have been cast aside by other clubs, and he tries to make them something that maybe they're not. And I think this was another. This is another case of that. There's just one or two in this team that just really shouldn't be at the Premier League level. Now, rumours are they're still in for a striker, and they've been linked with Daniel Sturridge. Now, if you're if you bringing in Sturridge, do not expect anything from him for the first couple of months. The guy hasn't played since February. He's going to be rusty. He's had a lot of injury problems, which means you have to bring him along slowly. He's a great player. He's incredibly naturally talented, but he is going to take time. They need to find... They need one in midfield without question. They need, they need an added quality in midfield. They need someone to go with Sanderberger. They definitely need one up front. They need someone that can partner Lise or Ollie McBurney. And it should be those three. And then all the rest of them should really only be playing cup games and coming off the bench, unless there's injuries. Um, I think they could do it with one, not a starter, but someone for a bit more depth at the back. With Jack O'Connell now ruled out for a couple of months with an injury, that's a massive blow for them and that, that's something I'd be really concerned about. Um, and obviously Egan will come back in after the suspension and Ampadu is there, so you'd imagine it'll be Basham, uh, Ampadu and Egan will start, but losing O'Connell is massive. They've got work to do, they really do. This is three defeats from three. And it is it's a little bit concerning because Despite the good first half, they were really flat second half, and they just looked like a team that was running on empty a little bit. To thirty six percent possession at home is is not good, really not good. Um, only managed the four shots on target. Now they did pull two really good saves in a Meslier, but the second half wasn't up to, up to scratch. As for Leeds, um, I again like it took them a while to get going in this game, but once they did they really started to control the game second half and it, they did look at a level above um, Sheffield United. If you'd he, if said to me, watching that game, knowing nothing about either team, which of these teams do you think was in the league last year, you'd absolutely think it was Leeds. And you'd think Sheffield United were the team that had just come up. Leeds look so mature, so professional, so well coached in this game. Um, Bielsa... Lovely, lovely tactical plan. Really clever shape to the team. And, I mean, they're just, in the, in the market this year, they're, they're being so aggressive and so ambitious. Uh, I think Robin Cox is, is settling quickly. Lorienti has to come into this team. Rodrigo has to come into this team. And it looks like they may have pulled the plug on the Rodrigo de Popolio. But Michael Croissants from Bayern Munich is an exceptionally good young midfielder. He came through at Mönchengladbach. He was very highly touted. And he left Gladbach because he didn't think he'd have a path to the first team. So for some reason, his agent steered him to Bayern Munich, where he's barely played, but he has won quite a lot. Now, he is uh, allegedly on his way to Leeds to, to complete a £20 million deal. And Todd Cantwell from Norwich is the other name being strongly linked and I have to say, as much as I like Rodrigo de Paul, I think if you can get Croissants and Cantwell, I'm probably butchering the first, one, first name there. It could be Croissants, but you know who I'm talking about. If they can get both of these guys, him and Cantwell, for the same price as Rodrigo de Paul, given they're 21-22 and can be long-term fits for Leeds, Players that will develop, get better, and potentially be sold at a big profit. I think that might be a better move. I think Leeds are they've been really, really good in the market. They've been really clever. Both of these kids will become international players as well. You um, we have to say hats off to them. They've come up. There's no, they haven't pretended they don't belong. They haven't done anything other than walk into every game expecting to win it. And two wins out of three, they'll be delighted with their start. They had a free hit in the opening day. They almost took a point at Anfield. But, you know, two wins in the last two games, getting better and better. Patrick Bamford, three goals out of three. It's what you want from your striker. Now, whether, I like I said, I doubt he carries it over the course of the season, but you can't argue with, with the results so far. Bielsa just finds ways to win. he's had three different tactical plans in three different games the level of detail that man goes into is just sensational, there's a reason he's one of the best managers in the world Um, more controversy in the Tottenham Newcastle game, Tottenham absolutely battered them they dominated the game, they should have been 4 or 5 nil up by half time 23 shots to 6, 12 on target to 1 66% 66% possession to uh, 34. A combination of bad luck with hitting crossbars and posts. Great goalkeeping. Darlow made a couple of fantastic saves and some just flat out bad finishing. Um, is the only thing that kept Newcastle in this game. They were absolutely smacked around the place by a vastly superior team. Lucas Moura gets the goal, a scrappy goal, for uh, or scrappy finish, I should say, for Spurs. And it, it looked like that was going to be it, that the doors were going to open, they were going to just flood through, and knock and, and, four or five past um, past Newcastle. And Newcastle just had nothing to offer going forward. Newcastle have had three shots on target this season, they've scored from all of them. The third one came in this game when Callum Wilson scored a penalty in the 97th minute after Eric Dyer was adjudged to have handled the ball um, from an Andy Carroll header. Now, look, Eric Dyer had his back to the ball and his arm sort of flailed. Now, he did get a little shove from Jamal Lachelles, which does explain his arm flailing to try and regain his balance. But it's the softest of soft penalties And what it led to was an incredible amount of cry arsing. You had numerous journalists, TV presenters, pundits, using the phrase, the game's gone, which is, it just really annoys me. This game is so much different to the game of the 90s, which was so say of say of not even the nineties, over the two thousands, which again is so much different to the game of the nineties, different to the game of the eighties, the seventies, sixties. The game has changed drastically over the last number of years. It's become massively in favor of attackers. It's made defenders' lives far more far more difficult. And you had Gary Lineker come out and complain about this. This penalty and how the rule is stupid. And then someone pulled up a tweet from Lineker from four years ago where he said, just make it an automatic penalty or free kick if it touches the hand. You can't have it both ways, Gary. I'm sorry. You can't. You can either want it or you don't want it. And the only reason you didn't want it in this game was because it cost Spurs two points. That's what it comes down to tribalism. Jermaine Genus is the same. Comes out, games go on, blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry if it was any of the team you wouldn't be all that arse. And shouldn't you be happy? Didn't you play for Newcastle? Um, there's a couple of dozen football league clubs on the brink of bankruptcy. There's a whole bunch owned by dreadful owners who have no business been in charge of football clubs. There's no fans in the stands. We're in the midst of a pandemic. There's so many things in the world that are wrong that Jermaine Genus could use his platform to try and help and fix and work to. And instead he's cribbing and cry arson about Spurs dropping two points in the third game of the season. A little bit of perspective, please. Um, so Jamie Carragher. So what, sorry, it, a conversation took place on Twitter that I thought was quite interesting. Just in, in shedding some light on, on the rule. So Dale Johnson, who works for ESPN, is a very good reporter, said that was always a penalty as soon as it hit the arm. Someone called Marcus Smith is: any chance this changes? If so, any chances this season? Or just something we're to get used to? So Dale replies, nope, this is the new handball rule. It's not changing. It's been like this in other leagues for one to two years. We've been cocooned from it until now. Jamie Carragher replies if the premier league did it differently last season why can't we do that now which is a fair point so dale johnson explains fifa has demanded that the premier league stops doing its own thing and fall in line with both the laws and var protocol this was always going to bring good and bad carriger replies i'm aware of that i'm not sure he was but he says he's aware of that but is there any possibility that the premier league could assess these handball decisions and revert back to how they viewed them last season, if it's yes, they have to do it. And Dale replies, I'm afraid not, Jamie. The Premier League should have done as Germany did, and introduced this interpretation of the rule following the 2018 World Cup. We would still have had this initial pain, but at least we've had the experience from the World Cup to draw. And if you remember after that World Cup, there was quite a lot of hullabaloo about some of the handball decisions. So the Bundesliga brought it in straight away. La Liga, Serie A, and a few others brought it in last season. The Premier League we're being stubborn and slow and have brought it in now. Um, so Dale has explained that really well. Now he's given some numbers. So these are penalties for handball given in the top five leagues over the last three seasons. So in the Bundesliga in 1718, 18, there was 19 in 1819, 19, which was the first year with this rule. There was 38. So it doubled last season twenty two so it dropped back down, so people got used to the rule, defenders and other players made adjustments to the rule, and therefore it is what it is um Those numbers are calculated based on a thirty eight game season, so they they play thirty four so they're just rounded up um, in France, where it looks like they introduced it at the same time, they had nineteen and 17, 17, 18, 34 in eighteen nineteen, so the new rule comes in it jumps fifteen, and then last season. 31. That's calculated to a 38 game season because obviously their season got cut short and they didn't restart. Um, so you can, you can see the effect there. Uh, in Syria, went 31, 37 without the rule, and then up to 57 last year with the rule. Now that tells me that Syria defenders need to put their hands down. Bundesliga 20, sorry, La Liga 20, 35. 48 that's just a growing trend but that will it will drop down it will even out And the premier league 6 14 20 so it's has been climbing even without this rule this rule is only coming in now so look it it's going to take time for people to adjust to it but eventually we will the rule itself will have the kinks worked out in it It's one game. It's the third game of the season. Newcastle get an undeserved point. Fine. Spurs drop two points. Unfortunate, but it shouldn't really have a bearing on their overall season. And if it does, that's on them, not on anybody else, because they have 35 games left. They've got plenty of time to get themselves their two points back. This game isn't going to change anything. Now the game that made me look absolutely foolish over the weekend. Uh, Manchester City 2, Leicester City 5. So, hands up, I was wrong about Leicester. I, I thought they'd carry the, hand, the hangover from last year into this season. And they haven't. They've started the season really well. Three wins out of three. Scoring goals. Better defensively than expected as well, given their um, their absentees. But... This game is all about City. Um, Now, I will say I did make a fool of myself a second time on this one because I tweeted out, oh, Brendan Rodgers has gone to, you know, the back three, which he always does against top teams because he's a bit of a spoofer and he doesn't know how to set up a defense. I stand by that statement, by the way, but in the context of the game, I look like a bit of a twat. But I'm happy to own it because why wouldn't I? Um, This game is mostly about City, though. What on earth were they doing? Rian Maris puts them ahead with an absolute scorcher of a goal in the first half. And in truth, I thought they were going to win comfortably at that point. minutes in, they score, and you're like, this is going to be a procession. Leicester are all over the place. And Leicester were terrible for the first half. Outright terrible. But, I don't know what it is about City, but they just cannot defend at all. And yes, the Laporte was injured and he's on the bench, but he's always coming back from COVID is what it is. But I'm sorry. It's, it's not an excuse. You've got two 50 million pound fullbacks, a 40 million pound center back, a young center back that apparently Barcelona want and think he's next ex Jared PK that Pep is absolutely in love with and Eric Garcia. You've got one of the world's most expensive goalkeepers. You've got two holding midfielders, one of whom cost a fortune last year. The other one's been one of the best in the Premier League over the past decade. And that defensive performance is absolutely embarrassing. All three penalties are a result of lazy defending as well as bad defending. You cannot just put your hands on people in the box like that. Kyle Walker is an experienced international defender who's played at the very highest level. And that first penalty is just a joke from him. He gets the wrong side of Ardy and just hooks his arm. Vardy scores the penalty. It's a great penalty, but going half time 1-0 is a disaster for City, given they've absolutely dominated the game. They're struggling to create real clear-cut chances because there's no Aguero, there's no Gabi Jesus, and they're playing Raheem Sterling as a striker. But you've still got Kevin De Bruyne, you've still got Riyad Mahrez, you've still got Phil Foden. That should be enough. And you've got six defensive players behind them. That should be enough. You should be able to score and then see the game out because you've got 72% of the possession in the game. But... Leicester just continued to pick them apart. And City's defenders continued to make stupid decisions. The second and third penalties, again, are just awful. Mendy's Mendy's not good enough at this level. He's an incredible physical athlete, and he's really good going forward, but he just has these brain farts defensively. And for a £50 million pound player, he's not accepted. He's one of the most expensive left-backs in the world. And you'll not find a single person who'll name him as a top 10 left-back in the world. Not a hope. Not an absolute hope. He's probably the fifth best French left-back. At best. Theo Hernandez, Lucas Hernandez, Ferland Mendy, Lucas Digne, and him. At best, he's fifth. Jamie Vardy caused him all sorts of problems all game long by doing really simple things like running off the shoulder. And none of the defenders decided to go with him. None of them felt it was their job. James Madison's goal is one of the best you'll see all season long. But again, why is nobody closing out? Eric Garcia comes out, throws a shape and doesn't make any effort to actually close him down. And Madison just bends into the top corner. Felt really bad for Ed- for Ederson because there's absolutely nothing he can do about any of these goals. The three brilliantly taken penalties, a world-class goal from Madison and a beautiful little flick from Vardy for his second. City said he were atrocious defensively. Nathan Aki gets a constellation goal late on, you know. It doesn't make up for your defensive performance, Nathan, but thanks for trying anyway. Um Leicester look they look the business this year, don't they? Rogers seems to have shaken off that hang up from last year and three wins out of three. Top of the league. City have problems. And it looks like they're gonna address some of them. Ruben Diaz uh is due to sign today uh for the fee has been announced as about sixty-two million. Now, I think that's a little bit of shenanigans because there's a deal going the opposite direction for Ottomendi for about fourteen million. If anyone thinks Nicholas Ottomendi is worth fourteen million in this market, I've got a bridge that I'd like to sell you. I've also got a holiday I can name after you if you're willing to pay enough money. Um I I think they've said, look, if you write it down that you've given us 14 million for Ottomendi, we'll give you a little bit extra for this guy. Um I really like Ruben Diaz, and he's when I did the suggested signings for each Premier League club, he's the one I suggested for City. So you're definitely not going to hear me complaining about the signing. Uh, he's not the best in the air, but I do think that will improve. He's, he's an aggressive front-footed defender. I think he'll be a good fit next to Merrick Laporte. I still think that left-back situation, though, needs massive addressing because after Mendy, like, what do you really have? Zinchenko's played a bunch there. He's a midfielder. You don't want Angelino there. I think they badly need to go and buy a left-back. I would make it a matter of urgency that they buy a left-back before the window closes. Um, what I did think was strange was that Pep only made two substitutions in the game. I did think that was really, really odd. I also thought the city bench, I mean, for a team that has spent that much money, to have Liam DeLapp, Tommy Doyle, and Cole Palmer on the bench, just tells me you haven't done a very good job. You spent that much money. The the Ruben Diaz deal is gonna push City past the four hundred million pound spend on defenders since Pep took over. Just on defenders. And they still need a left-back. Now, I think Diaz, Laporte, and Rodri as the holding midfielder, long-term, that's a great base for City. And Ederson and goalie is still very young. They're going to need to replace Kyle Walker in the next couple of years as well. But long-term, I, I do think that kind of diamond of Ederson, Diaz, Laporte, and, and Rodri will be very, very good. But I think they're going to be better under the next manager. I don't think Pep improves defenders as defenders. I think he improves them as footballers, but not as defenders. I think this fundamental flaw is always in his teams. And it's just more pronounced at City than it was at Bayern or at, uh, at Barcelona. He doesn't have the leadership that he had at those clubs. He had Carlos Puyol and Xavi at Barca. He had Philippe Lam, uh, Mats Hummels, and Manuel Neuer at Bayern. I don't think City have that leadership. It's one of the concerns I have for them moving forward. Is they've kind of lost their brain trust. They lost, yeah, yeah. They lost company. Now they've lost Silva. You'd imagine Fernandinho's maybe got a year left. Maybe Aguero goes the year after that. And after that, you look around that team, you don't see many leaders. Kevin De Bruyne probably is one, but he's quite quiet. He leads more by example than by, you know, any kind of verbal thing. He's also going to be 30, not, not too distant future. So how long is he going to stick around? Then what happens? The long-term outlook for City, I mean, look, they're, they're going to have the money. They're going to be able to attract who they want. But with this current group, I don't think it's particularly promising. I like that defensive triangle but or defensive diamond, but they need two fullbacks. They'll need a partner for Rodri. They'll need a replacement for De Bruyne. They'll need a replacement for Aguero. Maybe that becomes Raheem Sterling, I don't know. I think Phil Foden's an absolute diamond. I think he's going to be brilliant for them. Needs a new haircut, but he's a remarkably gifted footballer. And then maybe Bernardo Silva becomes more of a of a feature piece, but I don't know. There's just there's a lack of leadership in that group. There's a lack of players you'd look at and say, when the game is really on the line, this guy is going to stand up. This guy can be relied on. You look at Sadio Mane, how he stood up for Liverpool over and over again. Even Rashford for United, Aubameyang for for Arsenal. And you look at this team, and there just isn't that guy. There's not that real out-and-out match winner without Aguero. And I, Aguero's 33 now, 34? It's going to be interesting. Pep's got a year left in his contract. This is it for him, I think. I don't know that he stays beyond this, but City need work this summer. Uh, Leicester still need that a couple. They're still looking around for centre-back. Tarkovsky's rumoured to be one that they're considering. Um... Well, a great start for Leicester uh, Last game then of Sunday Was um, Another game I was completely wrong about West Ham 4 Wolves 0 um, I really didn't expect West Ham to win this game Let alone win it, win it as easily as they did Wolves were terrible They've Spent money this summer to get worse And they haven't addressed their needs That central defensive unit Has got to go If you want to keep one piece of it that's fine But you need to buy some centre-backs. You need to build that up. Because that is weighing you down like an anchor. And they got absolutely torn apart. Not by Liverpool, or City, or Leicester, or Spurs, or Arsenal, or Chelsea. By West Ham. Got absolutely carved open. By West Ham. And not even West Ham's best players. Because they started on the bench. Jared Bowen carved them open. Mm-hmm. Michael Antonio embarrassed them. It was It's as bad a defensive performance as you're ever likely to see. As bad as City were, they weren't as bad as this. City were bad all over. This was just on the defense here. Um, Jared Bowen gets two great goals. The first one is a brilliant individual goal from a quick free kick from uh, Fornals. Sets him off. Runs the defenders and bends it in the bottom corner. The second goal is really, really good because it shows his poacher's in- instincts. For hits it bounces back, and he's the first one to it. Simple tap in. And at that point, you kind of thought, right, well, at some point, Wolves will wake up here. They'll, they'll wake up. They're not going to be this bad for the whole game. But they were. And in fact, they got worse. They-, they continually got worse through this game. Wolves dominated the game in terms of possession with 64%. Only had two shots on target. West Ham had seven shots on target, 15 in total, 36% possession, and still had three times more shots on target. Just a shocking performance from Wolves. Really, really shocking. But credit to West Ham. Maybe Moyes not being there is the key. Maybe he should stay home from now on and just call it in. Alan Irvine will do the the touchline thing. But um, I, I was stunned by this game, genuinely. I... Really didn't expect Tam to win this game And if you told me they'd win it 4-0 I would have said you were Partaking in some sort of illegal narcotics But they got Their tactics spot on The Suchek and Rice pairing in midfield Is really really good isn't it It's it's really really strong It's something you can really rely on If they can keep Rice And sort that defence out They should be fine this year Um, Well I say that I did pick them to go down but that, you know, I will see. Look, I'm not going to make any predictions on them now, but I, I Wolves, something needs to happen there. Something needs to change. This, that defence, just you can't roll with that. You can't roll with that defence for the rest of the season. Um, as things stand, I am readdressing my predictions, largely because of how well Leicester have started, but it's Wolves who are going to tumble, in my view. Um, they've gotten worse this summer. Um... So that's it, that's the eight games uh, Tonight we have two games First things first We have Fulham against Villa Big blow for Fulham As Marlon failed his medical uh, They had the deal agreed to bring him in from Sassuolo So that's a big, big blow for them They're going to have to find someone else uh, They do actually need two centre-backs So, you know, time is running out uh, They play Villa And um, I'd say I do fancy Villa To win this one uh, and then Liverpool against Arsenal. Big blow for Liverpool. It looks like Adrian is going to be starting in goal uh, because Alisson is injured and Thiago Alcantara might also be injured. So that would be big. If Liverpool are without Alisson and Thiago, more so Alisson. He's the big one. They can get by in midfield. They have, they have the bodies, but to not have Alisson would be huge. Adrian did it okay last year. He's given far too much abuse by some sections of, uh, of the fan base those who believe they're entitled to things um, but Mrs. Allison's always going to be a big blow for Liverpool so it gives Arsenal a real opportunity here they should be two good games, we'll talk about them tomorrow thank you as always for listening thanks to Foxhorn for the title music, thank you to Guy Drinkle as always, I'll see you tomorrow Network.